Yeah, we could just hold it up to the mic, right? Yeah. Closed on Sundays. Whoa. You're my chick. High def. Number one. With, with the, the lemonade. lemonade. Thank you, Rachel. <laughs> <laughs> this is High Definition Corporate Lunch, episode 74. Will just left. Will was see- sitting <laughs> he's our ready guest. and he left. Uh, oh, he's back. I'm here. What's up? Check, 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 check. Is this thing on? It's the new corporate lunch. Same as the old corporate lunch, but better. Every week we get better. <laughs> Always improving, honing our craft. Sam, Rachel, Will. Noah? I haven't been on in a few weeks because I was at home honing my podcasting That's craft. That's right. Yeah. <clears throat> Doing uh, vocal exercises and practicing talking shit and babbling. I stayed up all night making sure the mix was perfect. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to play this episode of Corporate Lunch in the Oculus at 3.30 a.m. <laughs> yeah, what? Wait, I didn't... Does anyone know what that, what that was about? It was just like a party, like a listening party like he does? It was the ultimate activation. In the Oculus, I think it was he built a experience. foam room, like there were foam walls, like a structure in the middle of the Oculus. Huh. Damn. I think he was recording out. video, oh. so maybe so we'll, we'll see get soon. we'll yeah. get some content out of it. Boy, I hope so. Um, I'd listen to most of the Zayn Kanye interview, but that's not where we're starting today. It's true. It's not. Should we start I mean, at the we beginning? Did. We did, but it's not. If yeah, you know what I that's mean. That's right. Yeah, let's start at the beginning. Um, GQ's November issue is out. Man, is it ever. And it's the new masculinity issue, in case you didn't know. One, we've worked on, we've worked on this for a very long time, and a very rare sort of fully-themed issue of GQ. Yeah, we don't do a ton of fully-themed issues. We did the music issue. Yeah, February. Frank February, Ocean. Frank Ocean and... Ezra from Vampire Weekend and St. Vincent and Sober Musicians. John Mayer. Mayer with fits. His greatest fits. <laughs> John Mayer's greatest fits. Classic. That was a, that's a like yeah top five 2019 GQ story. One day we're gonna bring that back with somebody else. Yeah. Yeah. DM Sam Hine. Of, who should, yeah. Who, who should, should we be? do? I have some so ideas. With that one, John Mayer brought his own clothes to the studio. Yeah. And just just put the fits together you know, till he fa- touched fabrics till he found the magic, and then we took the photos. You know who would be the ultimate Pharrell? Skateboard yeah. P. Yeah. yeah. No, we we were talking about this a little bit yesterday, but can you express yourself in regards to Pharrell's influence in, in corporate lunch I, culture? I would say he's he is the source. And 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 bring up it's going to be interesting to talk about Kanye as well, but Pharrell really I think is the source for um he sort of like launched uh uh streetwear to to astronomic heights in in the aughts. He introduced um high fashion dressing in a way that feels like authentic and american and cool even though it involves you know sometimes women's wear and 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 european brands and totally changed the way kids dressed and changed what kids are comfortable wearing i actually one thing i i always think about this he's got a powerpoint no wait yeah no one just broke up up like aggressively (laughs) in this ted talk open the laptop clam I want to say that I've, that for me, Pharrell's long road to the new the cover of the new masculinity issue, clearly the crowning moment of his career, was the um, began with the 2007 purchase of the custom purple Croc Birkin bag. Yeah, yeah, that's that, a good. That's point. like how, that's As like many journeys that's point, begin. Yeah, totally. That's point A of the Z that is the cover of the November GQ new masculinity issue. And, for and then in the in the meantime, he started wearing. Phoebe Philo, yeah, 
um, Chanel. in a pretty dedicated way. Chanel in a dedicated way. Like, yes, the pearls, but also just sweaters and coats. And He showed up to a shoot that we did in, I think, 2015 with this rabbit fur pastel dyed patchwork <laughs> rabbit. Phoebe Philo Celine coat in a garment bag. And he was like, this is happening. And we were like, cool, definitely. <laughs> when that so. was, but when that was happening, were you like, wow, you brought some women's clothes? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Because that was, was like wild. We were that. like, whoa. Yeah. And then it was like, can we do this? Yes. I mean, why not? I think we can. And that was, yeah, it was like a moment. It's one thing that happened recently that that really made me think of this before. I think this was before we had him shot for the cover was um, my exchanges with James Jebbia for that Supreme story. And I was asking him about his influences. And he mentioned the Beastie Boys. The only like real people he sort of name dropped were the Beastie. In addition to skaters, Mark Gonzalez and some others. But the Beastie Boys and Pharrell were two that he named specifically. And I was like a little surprised because Pharrell seems so he's so in the street where yeah. like wheelhouse that it was kind of like it it was kind of shocking to hear the guy the supreme boss kind of like re- referring to someone who seems like more of a product of what he had created mm-hmm. but uh he just mentioned kind of casually like i think the mtv video awards or something one year when pharrell came out in like just camo cargo shorts yeah. a trucker hat yeah. a tee and it was like a skate it was a fully a skate outfit yeah. and i think you didn't see a lot of that at the time and that's and it makes sense that jebbia would have seen that and that really informs sort of what supreme does because that it, that really is a little bit of what their formula is about and it changed the way i think especially kind of like hip hip-hop fashion in general and those influenced by it those who participate in it both like fans and artists and everyone else i really think it changed I think it changed everything. I don't think it's an overstatement to say that without NERD era Pharrell and Neptunes, Neptunes and and first NERD album in search of Pharrell wearing cut off dicky shorts, skate tees, yeah. and the mesh trucker hat, we're just not here today talking about streetwear and sneakers and doing big Supreme features and all yeah. that stuff. We're just not. By the way, Kanye would say that. For sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. and even musically, I, I went to the. Um, it's old news now, but because the album dropped, but I was at the Jesus King listening at the United Palace Theater, mm-hmm. and one of the songs I can't remember which one it was. When he introed it, he was like, "This is a like an homage, a throwback to Teddy Riley and Pharrell and the Vir- Virginia Beach sound." Yeah, which is you know Teddy Re- Teddy Riley is the sort of like discovered Pharrell and mentored him. Pharrell was like a producer under him in an early part of his career. Teddy Riley invented New Jack Swing, among other sounds. I'm psyched that genres. we're having this this big Pharrell moment um, with this cover and this. Uh, Will, so Will interviewed him for the story, which is uh, it's an amazing interview and so great to have Will France Paris making making content like that. And um, like Pharrell's one of these guys that I think of has he's been around in a big way for a very long time, and you can almost he can almost like fade into the background or you can forget him or take him for well, granted. Like, yeah, Pharrell, amazing, yeah. of course. Like so like, many hit songs, so many like influential sort of like moves with, with what he's done with Chanel over the last couple of years. And you kind of, yeah, you take it for granted in a weird way. I don't know why that happens. But he's I, just so I, ubiquitous. 
I guess so. Or has and he been. doesn't make mistakes. So yeah, that's like, right. Me, the media There's churn, little scrutiny. The media and social media churn is based on like the rise and fall, and good bad behavior, hits misses. Yeah. And Pharrell is just very consistent. And that's a good point. Part of the reason, and part of what I wanted to talk to him about in the interview is he's like very fully embodied as a person. Yeah. Like he yeah. is at this point, he is who he is, who he is. And yeah. my, it's not something that has been like talked about very much online or whatever which is fine but the my favorite part was when i asked him why he's always bowing at people yeah mm-hmm. and he kind of unspools the whole history of him you know coming out of virginia beach looking to puffy and jay-z and what they did better than anyone their art form was based on bragging and stunting yeah and so that's what he did and now when he looks back he's embarrassed of that stuff not only because the culture has shifted and it's no longer seems like the coolest thing on earth to do but also because there was some he was faking it there's some aspect of bragging and stunting that is not who he was and so then he starts talking about meeting nigo going to japan for the first time and the like self-discovery that came as a result of that which a lot of it was about as he says humbling yourself down yeah and the bowing which he's if you've ever been around pharrell he's never not bowing uh-huh. he's always bowing at people yeah um and so the that was the question but what he does is he essentially gives you like the history of streetwear yeah because it's very tied in with him meeting nigo and then going to japan and yeah. then the that's you know bape and him him though his travel his his uh, him bringing japanese culture like streetwear culture i mean specifically and like opening those doors is so crazy like if you think about it when he was going there this was not that long ago, but like our phones, your phone wouldn't work when you went to Japan. Yeah, you know, yeah. like you were really, today it's a lot easier. But it was at like that, world travel. Yeah, at that time they were really, uh, those doors were, were not open the way they are now. And, and um, It's so interesting too, just the idea of like what we needed to get here with the whole streetwear culture was for an American who understood American streetwear and wore skate clothes and called himself Skateboard P to go see the way that Japan had reimagined it just strictly as product. Like in American culture, of course, it comes out of like a real subculture, which is like skateboarding. But to the Japanese, I I think, I could be, please correct me if I'm wrong, God knows. But they were just looking at it on like a pure product level. Totally, 100%. And that was the thing I learned a lot in reporting on that that Supreme story, just to go back to that again. But it's relevant. Like, it was these br- Japanese brands like Bape that were were developing, like obsessively developing hooded sweatshirts. And, the right. you know, the prices were going up. And But it wasn't just like graphics and hype. Like, there was a, a real obsession with... Um, how they were making them and the colors and the fits and the materials and stuff. And then I think you take someone like, yeah, like Pharrell, who's sort of. Like nobody was like, can wait, but hold on. Can Nigo actually skate? Yeah. <laughs> you no, know no, what no, I mean? No, no. It's just like absurd. They're like, but, you know, you refine the hoodie and figured out how to make jewelry more interesting. So what was, do you want to talk a little bit about the decision to have him on the cover of the new masculinity issue? I mean. Um, yeah, sure. I also, what, what, I also want to hear more about the. Um, the decision to wear the dress, the sure, sure, sure. gown, and how that went down. Yeah, it's interesting the way that the, the the and it's totally cool with me. But the the cover look has sort of um, there hasn't been a lot of discussion of the inside Pharrell fits. I mean, the, the some of the most so important strong. coats of all time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, Rachel's really into the long coats. It's it's I don't think of it as a dress. 
it's a it's I a can't gown. Out what it's to call a it. gown like parka. Puffer gown. Yeah. Parka well, gown. it was interesting too. Like when he's talking about wearing women's clothing, mm. he says to you, like, I mean, I would never wear a skirt. He yeah. actually Which says, is, uh, and this is interesting because it's kind of the only time he spoke quite like this. He said, "I wouldn't wear no skirt." Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's like he, he like he has these boundaries he, for himself and he way. went into his like toughest manner of speaking yeah to mm-hmm. say that but this is not a skirt yeah <laughs> clearly um it's a shoulder skirt yeah yeah it's a sh- it's a skirt, skirt for that giants. St- starts at your adam's apple <laughs> um okay so the new masculinity issue was like i guess going back to january i started as editor-in-chief of january 2nd and going back to January, I just had this language, the new masculinity, and wanting to do, or really the new masculinity issue, and wanting to do, as you guys know, a whole themed issue around it. And I don't know, maybe like week two of January, we talked about a new masculinity issue, and it was like sort of hotly discussed yeah. in a way that I thought was like really dynamic and cool and born out of our, the staff's awareness of the di- the difficulty of pulling something like this off and just doing it so totally right that the whole thing is like buttoned up yeah and that um the big thing for me the bar that i think we set for ourselves was um we can do this it's gonna be there is gonna be hot hot criticism but we have to get to a place where any criticism that comes our way we knew was coming yeah uh what you can't have in 2019 is just one sentence that's out of whack and the writer meant one thing but it can be interpreted another way and it just beca- goes goes all wrong on Twitter and you just get dragged and you deserved it. Um, so it was like, how can we tackle this issue um, where and really make these choices where of course the choices can be controversial and the choices can be criticized but we haven't, um, we haven't done anything blindly. We haven't made any like mistakes. Right. And there's gonna be no surprises, hopefully. Yeah. And so the conversation around Pharrell as really embodying this idea of the new masculinity was wanting somebody who, um, because the other choice, the other way to have, the other direction that we could have gone was just somebody who's really young and embodies like this whole, a new generation and a new idea of masculinity and has never in any way like inhabited um, a different like trope or a different um, uh framework of masculinity right. and they're just like born into a new right. era and we've done an ezra miller cover before 100 percent. he's sort of great in that, example in that in that zone an awesome gq style cover we did with someone who totally is i think what you're describing yeah ezra miller was probably at age five like you know uh, he was probably a radical five-year-old yeah <laughs> what was so interesting yeah totally what was so interesting about pharrell is he has first of all he's like an icon a gq icon i think of for all the reasons we've been discussing today i think if we made it a hall of fame with a very tight list yeah yeah of people in it of just like who are our hall of famers he would be on there so to have somebody um of that level somebody who is so um aligned with what GQ is about embodying a radical idea like this I thought was really powerful and then to just have a guy who is in his 40s and has both what I mean I wrote about this in the editor's letter and the introduction of the Pharrell interview but what I think is so interesting about him is he's this really dynamic and I think aspirational combination of a leader and somebody who responds in a really effective way as the culture moves around yeah so in the piece over the course of the interview you get that 
he was like really breaking ground just by carrying a, what is essentially an Hermes purse and by wearing women's clothes in a way that wasn't like um, that performatively feminine. He was just like Chanel sweaters fit me and I like them. So I wear them. Yeah. So he was a real leader and groundbreaker in that way. Like, and somebody who I think paved the way for an Ezra Miller or a young thug or a little Uzi. Yeah. Um, but in other ways, and he talks about this at length in the interview, he has responded, um, to the cultures that shifted around him. And that's what that blurred lines thing. Yeah. That Which was he brings kinda, up in yeah. there. He brought it up. I was going to ask him about it, but yeah. I didn't have to, he brought it up of his own accord. And he said that there's music that he's made that he's ashamed of. Um, and, and that he can barely even listen to. And that, um, at first he didn't understand when, when blurred lines was called rapey, you know, there was like, it yeah. kind of started on Buzzfeed. There was this piece that said, you know, the, the lyrics, I know you want it in that song and that a lot of aspects of it just were, um, felt threatening to women. And he said he didn't understand it at first. And then all of a sudden it clicked for him and he would never make music like that anymore. So here's this guy on some way who's broken ground and other ways he's made mistakes and adjusted in a way that I think is dynamic. And I just thought for our readership, that's something that um, like in a way that's leadership, like this idea of um, you want to be progressive and you want to lead, but you can also make mistakes and, and react in a way that is like powerful and meaningful. It's interesting. We we talked a lot about this in advance, talking about who would be the ideal cover. And I think I don't know that it was like. I'm sure there were other names that always seemed obvious or or, or most interesting to me that it be Pharrell. But I didn't. I think like the interview ended up being proof of concept, like beyond what I could have imagined. Like we had some ideas about like his evolution as an artist and stylistically, and like the way his career evolved. Exactly like the way his music has changed. The different sort of like. And, you know, hip hop has like evolved along along with him or he's helped it evolve probably in huge ways. But then in the interview, he just opens up, you know, he just goes in deep on that stuff, almost not unprompted, but almost like it really is what's on his mind, you know, like yeah. making it even more. Uh, well, I think he when we offered him the cover, he said yes immediately. And that was a good sign. And then from there, he just like really took on this concept and trusted us because you know yeah. we've seen other magazines make mistakes in spaces like these in recent years and he just trusted that we were that he he was going to fully sign up for this and really really go for it and um you know embody it in the shoot and really get into it in the interview and um i'm just like very honored by that and i think it's a huge part of why it's been such a success because imagine if pharrell was just kind of like I don't, what would we have done if the cover was like Pharrell wearing like, yeah, he's got on like a Chanel sweater, but otherwise yeah. just looks like himself, you know, I, I think it wouldn't have been so clear of a message. So he really like threw himself into this and I'm very grateful for that. Well, we can also thank, um, Pierre Paolo for cre <laughs> making this, this insane yeah. Moncler, uh, d down gown. Yeah parka which well, i'm sure is actually quite warm i never I think it's probably works <laughs> yeah it, i think it's as out of here. i don't yeah. think i got um there's like a from mobilage or from you like was that did did you guys know this was gonna he'd wear this on the cover like how no we didn't know um the fitting began with him walking into the like wardrobe room and that thing was like mobilage had taken a um um c stands it's like big stands for for like 
photography lights yeah. and set it up and just kind of like draped that thing over it. Okay. And so Pharrell walks in, he's like, what's that? Yeah. And then we kind of like grabbed it off the stands and like held it up in a way. And he's like, okay, that's look one. <laughs> and we're just like, all right, this is going to be fun. And did Mobilaji, before Pharrell got there, did Mobilaji pull that out and say, like, he's going to wear this? Yeah. Yeah. And and there was a reason that when you, like, stepped into the wardrobe room, it was, it was displayed. just right, it was right there. Say he, yes to the dress. Yeah, say <laughs> yes to the dress. Please. And then once we had that, it felt like, well, now we can just have fun. And then he brought- like, that's, we were all just looking at the pictures as Micaiah Carter was shooting them as they popped up on the monitor, like, uh, yeah, this is the cover. He brought every color of his- uh, Chanel loafers. Yeah, the Chanel Pharrell loafers are the like he's wearing them in every picture. They're which amazing. was something that he and he and Pharrell and Cactus figured out. Ah, okay. Just committed to. A true collaboration, you know, and that's what we set out to do with our photo shoots. And he, there's nobody more fun to collaborate with than him. Because he's very clear about what he likes and what he doesn't like and what he'll do and what he doesn't want to do. And he'll also you can like feel him being like okay i'm not totally in my comfort zone but i'm interested in exploring you yeah know? and that's what you want somebody who's like not just going to be like yes yes no no somebody will be like okay let's work this out yeah yeah this isn't just about this story but like the whole the whole issue and this idea of new masculinity and and um pharrell is sort of a face of it for for the issue is like it's kind of a like you said, we worked a long time on it. I think when it first came up in January, I think I could say we thought it might be like the April issue or something. Yeah. And then just like it just unspooled and, and grew more and more complicated and interesting and, and developed and, of course, ended up being the November issue. You know, it wasn't. Yeah. And um, the cool thing for me about this, obviously there's some there's there's some big ambitious stuff in here that is breaking new ground for GQ and, and you know, for whatever, American men, but... It's also sort of like this culmination of a lot of what we've been doing over a few years here yeah. at GQ in a really cool way and like sort of quietly or in some cases not so quietly, but just sort of shrugging off some conventional men's magazine stuff or men's style stuff and trying to do things a little bit differently. And I think like this is a big declarative moment in that, but it's also like what we'll continue to do and what we've kind of already been up to. Yeah, I, th I think of it as putting a headline on something that we've been doing, and there there are basically new masculinity stories in every issue of GQ this year. Yeah. yeah, my favorite part of making this was how hard it was to think of new talent that we hadn't shot and stories that we hadn't already done. Yeah, right. Yep. We and and we'll obviously continue to do it. This isn't like let's do a controversial issue and like put this new masculinity hat off and then take it put it on and then take it off. Yeah, it's like this is a sign of how committed we are to these ideas and it's been cool to get it's it's been you know there was like a new york times op-ed trying to spark some controversy about yep. it and you were on morning shows talking about yeah. it and i think like it's actually kind of rad to have this big moment in something that in my mind being on the total inside of this i'm just like yeah we've sort of been up to this quietly all along yeah. I'm glad to have this big moment something to, to, to have to, a break to talk through. about it yeah it's a really crazy thing to go on to CBS this morning, which I don't know, has like three or four million people who mm -hmm. watch it every morning and have a fairly nuanced, like impressively That's nuanced about, by the way, like the corporate lunch listening audience is about three or four million, I think. Yeah. Well, this is the, most important, the most important stop on Will's Media Blitz yeah. Yeah. happening right <laughs> but, now. Yeah. But, you know, th that's podcasting. I'm talking about the old school television, right. you know. Yeah. Um, uh, but to go on there and to... The, 
be talking about the new masculinity and then be quoting from the survey in there and then and saying acknowledging that some, that 97 percent of men have said that masculinity or 97 percent of people who responded to our survey said that masculinity is changing and about 30 percent of men said that they are confused by the change yeah and then gail king said to me are you confused by the change <laughs> and i said no i'm not confused at all let me tell you what the new masculinity means to me it means i know who i am and i respect who you are and my expression of masculinity or femininity or whatever I want. My expression of myself can be whatever I need it to be. And I respect you and your right to express yourself however you want it to be. To be able to say that on, yeah. on CBS at 8.55 in the morning <laughs> to 3 million people, I was like, this is so crazy. This is so awesome. This yeah. is like why we get out of bed every, yeah. in the morning. Yeah. Um, to just like have these kind of conversations. And we don't always get them, it can't always be in such a big way yeah but when it when you can break through like that it's pretty special and of course it comes with like outrage and my twitter mentions have been like <laughs> a swamp <laughs> since this thing came out well it's interesting that like some of the critiques were like you know i also i also it was interesting when you were saying a few minutes ago like we didn't want to be open to criticism it wasn't well that's not quite what you said but it wasn't yeah. even like that it was more like any criticism that came to the issue we wanted to be like interesting and introspective and like take totally. us to a new yeah, place yeah. so it was like we wanted to fully think through everything and not like do anything in a sloppy way yes. but we also were like cuz there were responses that i was like oh wait that's really interesting or totally. like you know, supposed to start a dialogue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was funny to see like some people responding not to even the fact that like Pharrell's wearing a dress, but just like change, change bad, change not good. Yes. Like no change. Masculinity is not change. It's forever. Yeah. yeah. That outrage to me the the outrage that is um, irrational has very little to do with what is actually in the magazine that we made. All that kind of that is just like. The, that's change doing its work people being like ah, no like yeah me no like yeah you're like all right that's fine yeah bring it on it's uncomfortable yeah men wearing makeup is uncomfortable to some people i totally get it that's not a surprise at all some people just like can't look at pictures of men wearing makeup <laughs> they can't do it it's the uh, trust but like i will show you guys my mentions they cannot do it yeah. they can't take it but guess what? It's happening, and it's okay. If a man wants to wear makeup, so it shall be. It's also been happening for a long time as Billy Idol. As Billy show. Idol. Yeah, show yeah that's yeah. what. That's kind of why I was like snickering because I was like, Billy Idol's the face of the. You know, oh, he op fine. he opens yeah. this this amazing uh, beauty story we have in here, which is cool dudes wearing makeup in various ways, and you know he's fucking Billy Idol. And people, you know, there was a time where Iggy Pop's expression of masculinity was as shocking as as Pharrell in a yellow dress. That's right. I don't and know. He's also in the issue. I don't know what Billy Idol was doing after the shoot, but he walked out with the makeup still on, with the nails <laughs> still painted. He was like, oh, "I'm good. Gonna Depends go to on. Burger King." Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hell yeah. Um, Proper. Rachel has a big profile with a new, new-ish. Can you still say new with Givenchy's uh, creative director, Claire well, Wade her, her menswear push, I guess, is probably newer than her women. Oh, is that right? Yeah, because this was like her first standalone menswear collection. Right, right, okay. I just blew your mind. No, well, yeah, yeah, it was. No. <laughs> no, no, I think he was maybe about to go into like some sort of super nerdy, like, well, actually, 
Uh, <laughs> no, but I, I, it's a it's a story in the issue. Um, I think it went up online this week. I like how a big yeah. Rachel T story is like an event on the internet. <laughs> For sure, it's. I mean, it's, it's a, a drop. It's a really good one, and it's. I think the first, like, th- what Claire Waite Keller's been doing at Givenchy has been, like, building momentum in a super cool way that feels totally, you know, Givenchy is an LVMH brand, so she's, like, in the building with Virgil at Vuitton and Kim Jones at Dior. At, but she's been doing this thing that's, like, uh, really different than what they're doing. Well, and also she and, has a sort of special place because she is the only one of the LVMH designers who is doing both men's that's right. and women's. Yeah, we, so it's like Vuitton has got Guesquier doing women's wear and like uh, Virgil doing men's. Do you want to tell us a little bit about why? Hit she, us with the thesis. Yeah. I'm so <laughs> into the thesis of this piece. So the thesis of this is that she takes the kind of like traditions of like French fashion, like fantasy romance and the word that they often use at Givenchy is savoir faire mm-hmm. um, which means like a lot of really intense laborious craftsmanship and very careful uh, construction of clothing and she imports that into menswear and so she creates this kind of like fabulous way of dressing and of kind of like putting together a wardrobe um, and like really dressing for events and like even kind of creating events around what you wear um, that no other menswear designer is really doing. And that's really something that comes from like the spirit of couture clothing in the 1950s that was embodied by Hubert Givenchy, who worked a lot with Audrey Hepburn. So like she actually makes like couture clothing for men, which is a big part of this story. What's so cool about this is it's, there's been a lot of fuss, including around our cover, on this idea of men wearing women's clothes. And what this is, is a women's wear, a, a, a designer, not women's wear, a designer thinking about men's clothes in the like, with the imagination and fantasy of women's wear, but to still make men's clothes that yeah, feel like it's men's still clothes. Like yeah. A lot of suits and, you know, frock coats and tuxedos and, and that sort of thing. So it doesn't so it's like, like how do you think about a suit in the way that Hubert de Givenchy thought about a dress for Audrey yeah. Hepburn? Yeah. But still make a suit with like men's tailoring traditions. It it's it's like the perfect piece for this issue. Well, you know, like the thinking about new masculinity and I think like if you think about some some of the outrage response you get, it's like GQ wants men to wear dresses. Yeah, we want they want to feminize men with all this my, stuff. My, and here's my. like this really smart piece that argues that 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 doesn't have to have anything to do with how masculinity could change. Um, you know, in in fashion, as an example. Totally. The uh, my favorite <laughs> my f- my favorite thing in my mentions is that GQ now stands for gender queer. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Which, like, yeah, kind of. That's fine. Uh, yeah. Whatever. Oh, man. I think Jeremy O'Harris put it well. Friend of the show, Jeremy O'Harris. He um, responded to the New York Times op-ed with the line, Fellas, is it gay to question the limits of masculinity? <laughs> <laughs> hey, fellas! <laughs> I didn't see that. Was that a tweet? It was a tweet. Yeah. I need to mash RT on that as soon mm-hmm. as this pod is over. Maybe even pre-pod if somebody's going in an extended rift or during <laughs> the pod. Yeah. <laughs> Just sneak it in. Yeah. Read Rachel's story. It's really beautifully done. Thanks. Big ideas, artfully executed. 
there's more coming too. One really hard thing about this podcast is there that is we're always issue coming we're always making one. new issues, and yeah. and Rachel and I and and Will and the whole team here just finished another um, big banger that I can't by, you, by Rachel that I can't say anything about. Did you mean to leave Sam out? <laughs> Sam, Sam. Well, I was gonna just say me and Rachel, <laughs> and then I felt like you know Will had his hands in the editing too. Sam helped moral support. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Sam and I sit next to each other. So Sam might have ghostwritten the piece for all I know. Yeah. I don't. I don't know what's happening. <laughs> Rachel was just that extended T. But Sam um, actually wrote the piece. We unintentionally started with Kanye, and maybe Kanye's album literally just came out like an hour ago. What is it called? <laughs> Sam's already listened to it. It's 27 minutes long. It'll probably be gone by the time this episode comes out. It'll be taken the, down. The culture will have mulched it. Remastered. Yeah. Or, yeah. Um, it's called Jesus is King, dude. And I listened to a lot of that Zane interview, which is interesting. There is. It's funny that he talks a lot about cultural warfare and so does Pharrell in this piece. And they're sort of spiritual in Spiritual warfare. Spiritual yeah. warfare, sorry. And they're, they, they, they're talking about two sort of different things, but they both have to do with being online and, and like expression and, um, just sort of like both of them deal like dealing with, I don't know how the culture processes things, including like their art and their output. And then like what's sort of like being given back to them. Um, but I thought Pharrell's idea that the way the there's a culture war going on, right? I mean, a political war. Of course, you know, yeah. America is very divided. Yeah, yeah. We all, I don't need to rehash that. Pharrell's kind of like recapitulation of it as spiritual warfare rather than cultural war. Yeah. I thought was, I think there's sometimes Pharrell, he does have a tendency to speak in like what I sometimes call rainbows and unicorns. Yeah. You know? Um, and so I think sometimes people kind of like, zone out when he when he says certain things in a certain way but i think there's a real power to that idea yeah he also had such an interesting uh comment on the way that people talk about or criticize things on the internet like Mm -hmm. which was i thought really refreshing given the like cancel culture kind of knee-jerk reaction that celebrities tend to have when he was talking about blurred lines Mm -hmm. and he said like a lot of people who felt that it was offensive like it wasn't it wasn't like the majority of people but that didn't mean that they were wrong and i thought that that was such a because usually we're hearing like a celebrity say like one person tried to cancel me and like the internet is over you know so i thought that was a really like kind of nuanced understanding of how those kinds of like critiques work online yeah, he was like, mostly what Blurred Lines was doing was making people shake their shit at, yeah. wed- at weddings. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Primarily, it was the number one song in the country for a very long time. So we thought, great, what a hit. And then he was like, but then there was this other thing. I mean, I'm totally paraphrasing. Paraphrasing is not literally what he said. But there was this other thing bubbling, mm-hmm. and I heard it. You know, And I agree with you. That's like, that's, there's a generosity to that. And that then, maybe we could use more of. And then he talks about being on Oprah on his birthday. And I was like, damn. <laughs> <laughs> Crying on Oprah. <laughs> yeah, just like, I don't know, the life of a uh, mega mega pop star. Um, what were we going to – oh, Kanye last night gave an award to Rick Owens at – what was the – Draping for hours, bro. <laughs> he gave a really epic he, – he, he, Kanye and Kim at the – Fashion, help me out. Fashion Group International. Fashion Group International Gala. Kanye and Kim gave Rick Owens his award. Yeah. 
and um, they both spoke. Kim went first, and then Kanye kind of took over, and it was absolutely hilarious and awesome. Um, I would love to be able to imitate the whole thing for the corporate lunch listener right now, um, but there I didn't record it because like everybody had their yeah. phones up, like Kanye West and Kim Kardashian yeah. were at Cipriani. Yeah, we need. So to I was like, the, the culture has this covered. Yeah. I can just chill and laugh and enjoy myself. It was also very insightful about washing leather. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna get in the car and feel like I didn't talk long enough, and I'm gonna say I should have brought this up. About and let's talk about the streets. Let's talk about when people are ASAP, Rocky, Rap, he say Rap, Simmons, Rick, always, usually what I'm dressed in. To, to go from Rap at fashion level to the streets. Nobody, nobody but Rick from America, bro. <laughs> and they said, they said L.A. fashion tonight, in, in, like as a compliment, they used to be a diss. <laughs> I miss, it makes me realize that I miss Kanye engaging with fashion. Yeah, totally. Like I feel yeah. like we've been, he, obviously his mind's been elsewhere and he's turned Yeezy into this like massively successful brand and he's been on his. He said he stole Rick's whole color palette. <laughs> that maybe he should just start there. And then he said, washing leather, draping for hours, bro. Um, but then had an extended riff that I thought was like super spot on for a like compelling way to frame Rick Owens getting this like massive achievement award, which is that this is an American designer. Yeah. And, and in some, LA he's from California. LA he has yeah. a good bit on him being an LA designer. Um, but that like, you know, as, as Kanye West was obviously thinking of himself here too, but like Americans do real fashion. Yeah. And if you don't believe him, exhibit A Rick Owens. The realist of the real. Yeah. Rick Owens was hanging out at MoMA yesterday. There we're gonna we're gonna Instagram. do some digging. We're gonna do some digging around. The like Team Kanye Daily and all those people I think are too uh rightfully so, like figuring out, I guess covering jesus king dropping yeah but we really need that fgi presentation yeah, they miss the corporate lunch listener needs the fgi rick owens presentation speed badly trust me yeah. i'll drop i'll drop some links into the uh, episode description if i can find them yes i just can't believe team kind of here to serve wasn't invited to the fashion gala i mean if you it would be a good idea if you get kim and kanye to say yes to coming to your thing yeah. to invite team kanye daily just to make sure your content yeah. is popping a lot of people are talking about um from the Zane interview, his like perceived shot at Virgil, where he said, "I thought oh. that would have been me," at LV. Yeah, but I think I don't think he meant what people thought. I think he there's meant. no there there personally. They, Zane asked him about if if part of his sort of uh, uh, spiritual rebirth of the moment that that if his sort of like self reflection will include repairing like relationships with his friends, including Jay Z. And uh, he doesn't ask about Virgil, but he asks about Drake and Jay-Z. And then he, um, Kanye, well, he also talks about how Yeezy is the number one most searched brand on the planet, followed by Off-White, followed by Adidas, followed by Nike, followed by Vuitton or something Wait, like this. Off-White is the second most searched brand on the planet? According to, I mean, I don't know. This is <laughs> America, America's statistician, Kanye But it was West. just funny that like the five, you know, it. the top five are, you know, all are, are just entirely Virgil and, and um, you know, Nike and Virgil obviously are closely, closely tied. But yeah, I don't know. 
I think Will's probably Chanel. right. Look, Rachel, I didn't invent the internet. Does he mean the most Googled in his own home? <laughs> <laughs> Whenever I type it in, it just pops up. <laughs> All right. Well, the Kanye news will will uh, continue to roll out, and Corporate Lunch will not be your main source for it. Should we do some vibes? I have a hot vibe. All right. Wow. Frank Ocean's prep party. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Sam Hine. Sam Hine was there. It, was. Uh, it became controversial on the internet for reasons that uh, I think are very easy to understand. I get it. I also thought um, starting club night, not an easy thing to do. Got to start somewhere. Uh, Frank started with some hot, aggressive, kind of anti-takes on Twitter. But I thought it was a good party. I can't wait to see where that thing goes. Apparently so, last they did it again last night. And apparently it was great. There you go. Popped off. Well, twice in one week? No, it was, uh, so it was the the, ne- the week after. Oh, so it's weekly. a weekly party. So far, it's weekly. Oh, that, oh, I guess we don't really What did you hear about the vibe last night? Uh, I heard that it was a little bit more, um, it was less like media scene-y. Like, I yeah. think people, that was one criticism. Like you and I were there. People like Will and I were there. <laughs> <laughs> and I think, but the way, you know, it, I think this, this time it seemed like there were more, um, more of like the real scenesters who didn't get invited the first time thought they should have been there got invited and, and this we're time. in the mix and we're in the mix time. and we're like and, and they had a great time apparently and, and arca arca dj'd and poppy juice dj'd and and good on frank for just like taking the criticism on the chin and keeping it going yeah That's what the was the location same lo- it's the same location where Knock, is it knockdown center in queens okay. and i mean frank had to release a song to like distract everyone from the party controversy so yeah. i think everyone ended up winning <laughs> yeah and of like i mean based on the way sam framed it anyway if like the people who were criticizing him last week were like ready to go to the knockdown center in queens this week yeah. then like how how serious was their criticism to begin right. with it's um, hard to make like a, a sort of a, a moment feel inclusive when it, like no one can figure out how to get tickets to go to the thing totally like the cool inclusive scene party surprise surprise we ride for frank who's next me sure you know, you talk about Kanye, Pharrell, Frank Ocean, style icons. The next one is Flea, 100%. That's my vibe. The Red Hot Chili Peppers wow. bass player. Yes. Flea. Um, I who, love it when somebody is just very much themselves, and that was just like a great moment in Noah Johnson. Yeah. No shame. I've always loved Flea. Uh, I, I can't – I won't say anything really about the band that he's in, but – uh, <laughs> Flea is, a, is really a he is a style icon and an innovator and has always fully done his own, own thing like now like 50 year old Flea with like the two gold teeth and the gap in the middle like he just looks amazing he probably surfs every day I mean obviously he's like rich and just lives some fabulous amazing life in Malibu but otherwise he just got married this is what I want to say congrats Flea he just got married in a beautiful undercover suit designed by jun takahashi one of the greatest fashion brands on the planet i thought that was a very tasteful choice for flea it was also funny that undercover plays a lot with like grunge and and like flea's world it's like it's like a very on the nose and typical undercover sort of fashion but uh but it was a tux right? yeah it's a tux um he looked really sick in it and um that's what i want to say about flea and that's my vibe thank you and he has a book coming. Thank he you just so much he has a memoir coming out. Noah. Yeah, and and there's a big New York Times. <laughs> Who read the interview? I didn't read the interview. He has a huge New York Times interview this I week. I read it. Papademus. 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 Yeah. Papa a, uh, a friend of friend of. GQ. I feel like 
Flea is a friend of the pod too. Yeah, Flea is hundred percent. Honorary, if not maybe on his this book tour. If he's so he's got this memoir coming out and he'll do a media tour. Maybe we can get him in here. That'd be fun. That would be awesome. Why not? He's a good dancer too. Check out his Instagram. Oh my god, he's a really good dancer. Rachel, give us a vibe. Beige dressing. (laughs) Amazing. Describing your your outfit today. Big beige (laughs) dressing energy. Would you describe this as beige or cream or white? This is this is more in a cream direction. Is that in the beige family? It's sort of in the beige family. Not all creams are beige, but all beiges are cream. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I was recently in Italy where I went to the Armani restaurant. Stunt, Rachel. As one does. And I was like, everything here is beige. It is so chic. And then I wore some beige the next day. And every store I walked into, people were like, you're very, you're very well dressed, <laughs> dude. If you can make that happen in Italy, yeah, you're a true, and I true do legend. not ever really wear beige. Like everything I own, but is now you get like it. some green thing from Dries Van Noten. So this is like a big change for me. Were you in the like ninth floor lobby of the Armani Hotel? Mm-hmm. That spot, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. It's a vision in beige. It really is. Yeah. Rachel and I went to the row sample sale last week, as some of you may know, and there Very were there were many beige, visions big. in beige. There. As some yeah, of you may know, is amazing. <laughs> they didn't buy big me beige energy. I had dinner Sorry. last night, as some of you may know. <laughs> <laughs> vibe us out, Samuel. Speaking of which, my vibe is Hillstone. Yes. <laughs> I was uh, Will. Uh, shout out to Will for taking me out for dinner the other night and opening my mind. Opening the rest of your the, life. The, the crazy thing your is, I think the night. It's the king of the regular ass restaurants, I think Noah. It's the, no, it's the, it is the it is, king, queen, prince, goddess, god, and and Jesus Christ superstar of regular ass restaurants. What's the signature dish at Hillstone? I would say probably, I mean, they're, the thing about Hillstone is they don't miss. Well, it's definitely the spinach <laughs> artichoke d- dip. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But the, it's, oh, yeah. It's all. It's signatures all the it's way the down. It's the best crab yeah. cake. Incredic- the, incredible. Like Sam was like, "I'm gonna get the salmon." I was like, "I've never seen that happen before." But it's <laughs> Hill, turns out it's also Hillstone signature the dish. Stank. Yeah. Yeah. I would. I think maybe the ribs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But it's really spinach artichoke dip, and then they bat a thousand from there. Yeah. That's incredible. I'm gonna tell you something crazy. The night you guys went to Hillstone in New York City. I went to Hillstone at the Ball Harbor Mall in Miami. That's crazy. What'd you have? Crab cakes. And? Amazing. Signature? Artichoke dip. Signature? What's the crab? Were the crab cakes? Oh, the crab cakes are the bomb. Yeah, they're the best. They're the best. It's the signature dish. They're the best crab cakes on the planet. I received so many DMs. And they have a really good tuna um, salad, <laughs> seared tuna salad with like mango and stuff. I received like three DMs and one email the day after I went to Hillstone <laughs> saying, dude, I love Hillstone. Welcome to the rest of wow. your life. Wow. Regular other, ass restaurant. In other cities, it's called Houston's, just in case for- uh, Oh, know. really? But it's the same? Oh, yeah. Exact same place. These They used to be called Houston's in New York City too, but they changed it. It's a long story. More on Hillstone soon. <laughs> I, is that next the time I'm on next thing. time I'm on the pod I'm having artichoke dip delivered to the pod and people are just gonna have to deal with like eating noises into the microphone. It is an exceptional it's artichoke that dip. Deep of a vibe. Should we um should we go? What do you guys want to do? Should we go? Sorry, more vibes. Go out on a Kanye clip from last night. Should we all just go to Hillstone for lunch? Crab yeah, cakes? let's just go to Hillstone. Break right. for Hillstone. Um, Love you guys. Mean it. We'll see you guys there. It's the, this is the one thing. Yeah, I'm so happy I did. I remember this. This ain't no mood board, bro. <laughs> what 
we doing this season? What's hot? What's the buyers gonna buy? Rick be like, right? <laughs> this is what I want to make. This is what it means to dream to be an internal three-year-old. To be inspiring against everything. Against all. Ooh. Thank you for existing, Rick. Without further ado. Thank you.